Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Joe Kostig said, can you believe it? Here it is. He didn't have this in mind. You see it? It's at eight seconds. He has to be alert to the pitcher. Two feet in the box, head looking at the pitcher. What have you changed in the box for, like, the uh, fish cloth? Um, Honestly, I'm just just trying to figure it out right now. Um, I want to be able to establish um, a routine because, for me, I'm I'm very uh, routine or – I mean, also like baseball players, I mean, it, sometimes a routine develops into a, a ritual or superstition. So for me, um, I, I want to be able to develop something where I have time, uh, where I have like certain cues. Because like right now, like I'm still, I'm still want to be able to, to kind of have a total control over that. The pitch clock stuff is new. And now that we actually get to play games uh, against an, uh, against an opponent, um, yeah, it's just something I, I want to tinker with. And during the season, we're going to have our walkout music and stuff like that. It's going to be in a different scenario. But um, I don't know. It's I just want to develop um, like a routine or, or a ritual um, and, and get it down. I'll, I'll kind of play with some stuff during these spring games. But, um, I mean, so far, so good. How, how different did it feel compared to non-pitch clock times? Um. I mean, it's it's different. I mean, we we tried to uh, emulate it as much as possible during those live bat, live AB sessions, but um, in the game, it's just uh, it's quicker pace play. Um, and I mean, it's a little bit different style gameplay, um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can master certain situations uh, during during spring, and we can get a hold of it and uh, defend or. Um, offense, anything that uh, comes up during the season. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, February the 26th, 2023. 
Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thedocumentspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You could also get me at Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Tons to talk about. The games have finally begun. First impressions of the new rules, big topic. I promised you I'd get more into them. Got a chance to see them. Really happy that I waited to give my opinion because I think I would have had a little bit of a different opinion if I had talked about it in concept last week. Steve Cohen, the Steve Cohen factor. Now, I know Manny Machado signed with the Padres. I'll talk about that or re-signed an extension with the Padres. But is the Steve Cohen factor just money or is it something more? I'll get into that. Pete Alonso made a comment earlier this week to MLB Network, I believe, a throwaway comment about last year. We'll talk about that on the way out. And Brett Beatty, what a big opening uh, game performance. Could there be a positional battle? I said there wouldn't be any. I still have my doubts. I'll talk about that. And the guys over at Mets Fix made me think about, can the Mets' variance of wins range from the high 80s to 100 wins? And it could be... Not what we think it is. We'll talk about that. So plenty to talk about here on this first Grapefruit League edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I used to call these Grapefruit Roundups. But, you know, now with the WBC and let's face it, spring training has become, I mean, I remember back at one point there used to be a stat. I'm almost positive this was like around 1992. Where, you know, if a team finished below 500 in spring training, it was early 90s, I'm almost positive, that they no team who finished below 500 in spring training had won the division or something along that way. So I remember, like, I think it was 92, the Mets were, like, below 500. We know what happened that season. And I remember rooting for the Mets to finish 500 because in my mind I was like, if they don't finish with a 500 or better record, there they go. They're going to have to go against history. But I think now we all know that none of that really matters. And, uh, you know, after looking at some of the lineups in – uh, you know, at Clover Park in Port St. Lucie, especially late in the ball game, wins and losses, the scores. It's all about getting work in, and, and that's that. Although I will tell you that whole Corona uh, hangout, which used to be the Tiki Bar, uh, the music late in the ball game, I mean, that gave it a little bit of a, a, of juice. I mean, usually spring training, especially when you get later in the ball games, when people start to thin out in those crowds. I mean, it, it could get a little bit quiet and dull and. You get a little bit of, uh, what is it, techno music or dance music or freestyle. I can't remember what they call it. I, I recognize some of the songs. Not that I know the names of the songs, but I recognize the the, the, the lyrics and the beat. So anyway, I'm, I'm already off track. We're not even five minutes into the program. I'm off track. So uh, here's where I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to start with a lecture because I needed, I have been saying this, and now the proof is in the pudding. The proof is out there. So the news comes out, the big news in baseball earlier today that the San Diego Padres have signed or re-signed Manny Machado to a reported 11-year, $350 million offer. You all knew when Carlos Correa signed the deal with the Giants and then the Mets, those big deals, that the new standard for star players has been put out there. $35 million a year, 10 years or more in length. Basically, Machado, who's making $30 million a year, got a little bit more AAV and basically is now signed up 
or 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 has a a contract for a decade until he's forty until the end of his career. So they just like the Mets married Lindor, just like at one point the Mets were going to marry Correa. The Padres have married Machado, and away we go. You know, Yankees with Aaron Judge, so on and so forth. So the lesson here is this: you know, while everybody here is grooming third base for Machado here in New York in the offseason, and everybody thinks that the two-way Shohei Otani show will come to New York next offseason because it's Steve Cohen, he has the most money, he's already shown a penchant for diving into the deep end of the free agent pool, especially post-Korea. Everybody saw that. What you learned, and this was exactly my warning, going all the way back post-New Year when Korea signed with Minnesota, that when you have the free agent in hand, the bird in hand, versus two in the bush, is is never to chase the two in the bush and assume that things are going to be the same 12 months from now. When players are with teams, the team, if they could sign them before they hit free agency, A-Rod talked about this all the time, the communication, because once you get to free agency, it becomes about agents and it becomes about negotiation, and then the personal touch goes away. And that personal touch, and I'll get to that in a little bit, with Steve Cohen is important. So that's kind of how he potentially could keep maybe some of his own players at some point. But Machado signs, I think it's a clear sign that as Mets fans, media, we need to put aside talk of next year and offseason. And a lot of that, I think, was that late January, early February lull before spring training where there's nothing to write about in baseball. So why not start speculating about next year? But it was starting to bother me a lot because I think Mets fans were starting to sound kind of obnoxious and and ignorant and foolish and childish. I mean, I'm going to put all those adjectives out there. And well, I'm, we're going to, you know, the Mets are going to get Machado and they're going to get Otani. Well, no, they're not. You don't know that. Um, and and remember, not every player wants to play in New York. San Diego is a pretty nice place to play. It's a pretty nice climate. Uh, you know, it's a team. You know, those guys have some dough too. They've shown that. They've shown that their 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 ability to get into the deep end of the pool too. Let's see what happens with Soto. Let's see if they jump into the Otani situation. So, a quick early spring lesson it has nothing to do with the new rules. It has to do with, hey, let's put aside talk about next year and big free agents until the hot stove comes up and until we learn a little bit more about what these guys actually want. Let's focus on the 2023 Mets. And I think a lot of fans were in that camp. I think it was a small minority. But I think it's it's a game that everybody starts to play. And I saw it played out a lot from Yankees fans for years and years. I mean, remember, you know, we were – I mean, maybe you followed this show back in 2018 or so. You know, the Yankees and the media and the fans spent a whole portion of that summer trying to steal Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom for the Mets. I mean, it was obnoxious. It was, and the media was right there with it. It was almost like they were, every day they were coming out with a new trade proposal. I mean, one worse than the other. I mean, that's where the whole Brandon Drury for Noah Syndergaard or Jacob deGrom, I think it was John Hopper came up with it. It was like, are you kidding me? Come on. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. I've spoken about that before. That's it. That's the lecture. That's the only thing I'm going to lecture you about here today. I promise. You know, I don't want you to click off. The, uh, the podcast before it even started. Now, uh, I had a chance. I watched the entire ball game today, and I watched the uh, most of the game yesterday. And I was waiting, totally waiting to hate the new rules. So going to the offseason, I hear, you know, bigger bases, blah, pitch clock. I'm like, all right, you know, I could live with that, but that's going to create some chaos. It's going to take away from, you know, the pitchers kind of – 
you know, building out their 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 strategy. You're going to see command issues. You're going to see sloppy pitching. And, uh, you know, then you have the shift. I was agnostic about that. But once you get used to something, you get used to a strategy, you kind of figure feel like, why are they messing with the game? I mean, baseball's never been a game where there's been restrictions or, you know, things like the NBA or the NFL and, and what have you. But I'll tell you this. Watching, like I said, all of today, most of yesterday, and I understand it's spring training, so the intensity and and the nerves and things that could happen in the regular season, in a big spot, whether it be at home, on the road, whatever, you're not going to be able to simulate all of this, and you don't know what's going to happen once the season starts, especially if you get a flustered pitcher in, in, a, in a crazy situation. But I will say this, after watching enough baseball, and I know it's a small sample size, but I have a hard time believing that much is going to change my opinion the rest of the spring. I didn't really see a much different game. The shift totally didn't bother me with a lack thereof. As a matter of fact, you saw Matt Adams get a hit today for the Nats against the shift. Daniel Vogelback got a couple of hits. It's almost like as a left-handed batter, and I know what everyone says, hit the other way, and I understand that part, but it's easier said than done. Big league hitters, not everybody could be Jeff McNeil. I mean, let's face it. I mean, generationally, to change that philosophy, I mean, everybody acts like in the 80s and 90s, everybody hit the other way, and they certainly could have, but not everybody was Keith Hernandez either. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's, it's easy to say those things. So the way the game was played for, oh, over 100 years, and, you know, is back with the defensive alignments. And also, let's face it, I mean, go watch any game from the 80s, 90s. Go watch an old, go on Apple TV. They have some old games. You could probably go on YouTube. They could still shade over to the first base side. They could shade up the middle. I mean, you don't have to be standing on second base to 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 make a play. I mean, there's a thing called range. And a real shortstop, not doesn't even have to be Francisco Lindor, could make those plays rather easily. So uh, that didn't bother me. The bigger bases, and I'll get to the t- pitch clock because that's the part I really think has the most impact. Uh, the bigger bases hasn't really bothered me. I mean, you know, you you could see the difference. I think from the naked eye, it's it's it looks the same. You're probably going to get a couple of more infield hits. Certainly, certain there are going to be players like the John Birdies of the world. You saw him a little bit yesterday in Miami that are that are are going to be a bigger stolen base threat for sure. I thought the throwing over was a bigger would have been a bigger deal than it was. And again, you, one of the concerns I had about Adam Adovino was his deliberate delivery, and there was there was a couple of stolen bases against him. But even with the two throwovers, there was some discussion in the booth over the last day or so is that you could still pitch out. And if you take a crazy lead, uh, you might even be worth trying to pick the guy off. If he's going to get second anyway with those crazy leads, try to pick him off. It's a balk. I mean, the balks may go up. It's not like these guys could just get a running start. If you're a lefty, you still have that advantage where, you remember, lefty pickoff moves are tough. I mean, think about Andy Pettit. I mean, think about how great that pickoff move was. And even with him only having two pickoffs, if he played in this era, that third one, you have to make sure that if you take off, Pettit's not going over to first. So I think that's an impact, and I think it will tick up the stolen bases from basically the stolen bases become a dinosaur to maybe not what it was in the 80s where everybody used it, and, look, I grew up watching baseball in the 80s. I mean, the, the not just the Cardinals stole bases. The Expos stole bases with Tim Raines and guys like that. The Mets had Lenny Dykstra and Wally Backman and Mookie Wilson. 
even Tony Gwynn at one point, uh, I know he was a little bit of a more portly player as he got later in his career. He had some speed. He stole some bases. I mean, you could go up and down. I mean, go to baseball reference. Look at any season in the 80s or even early 90s, you know, maybe even to the mid-90s. And you would notice that every team had a couple of guys that had the capabilities of getting on and stealing the base. Brett Butler, you know, go on, so on and so forth. So if you get back to that and it took bigger bases that look like a big pizza box, is it an indictment on the development of players today? Sure it is. But it doesn't really it didn't really bother me. It really didn't. Um now let's get to the pitch clock. So I, this to me. If you could get the ball game, and I, let me read off what I have here. Again, these are spring training games. You might have some guys certainly working a little bit of faster pace, maybe not completely in the zone. You know, maybe some guys trying to prove themselves, young hitters that are trying to, instead of working counts, you know, you're not going to walk your way onto a roster. You're probably going to hit your way on a roster. So maybe they're swinging a little bit more freely. Players that are not going to see a, a big league field, any, any, maybe some of them never. In game, so keep in mind you're not seeing the best of the best, so you really can't make a judgment until the regular season starts. But the early returns, because sometimes spring training games are pretty sluggish too. If anything, spring training games because of the pitching changes and some of the bad play late became more of a slog than a regular season game. And, and here are the times. So this is today: Yankees, Phillies, two hours thirty four minutes; Phillies, Detroit, two hours fifteen minutes. Boston, Atlanta, 2 hours, 39 minutes. Tampa Bay, Minnesota, 2 hours, 31 minutes. Baltimore, Minnesota, shade under 3 hours, 2 hours and 54 minutes. Uh, Toronto, Pittsburgh, 2 hours and 47 minutes. Uh, the Nats in St. Louis, I guess that's another. Well, these are, Actually, I should say these were yesterday. When I say today, these were yesterday, Saturday's games. Nats in St. Louis, 2 hours and 26 minutes. Mets, Houston, 2 hours and 33 minutes. I think most of the Mets games, I think they played three games now in the spring in just a matter of about you know 24 to 48 hours. They've been about two and a half hours every game. If you could get this sport where you're going to have a game that's between two and a half and two hours and 45 minutes consistently or better on most days, you now have, and forget about the criticism of you're trying to cater to those who don't watch the game. I understand that argument. I've made that argument. I would say the ghost runner and and things like that cater more to the arena baseball crowd, I'll call them, than anything. What you're doing here is you're creating a better pace for the fans that watch it to engage more in the product. I'm going to be straight, guys. There are days last year. Here's a Mets 101-win team. There were days last year where I bounced on games live because I had stuff to do. And I'll also be honest, there were days that I couldn't even think about sitting here watching a ball game because I knew it was going to be a slog, it was a nice day, and I just wasn't in the mood. Now, that's going to happen to all of us, whether you do what I do, which is have one foot in the fandom here, but the other foot is, hey, I'm, I, for me to do this show and be a pro, which I pride myself on, i got to watch the ball games. That's why I got the MLB.TV product. You can record things on, on, your, on your DVR, whatever. But there are days the thought of even sitting and, and sitting for three or four hours watching a baseball game, I just couldn't do it. Now, they're few and far between. I am about as hardcore as hardcore as there is out there. What better way? Just think about today. Let's just pick a, a random Sunday now. You could get these games on average about 2.30, 2.30, Game starts about 1 o'clock. Get up. You have a nice breakfast. 
you do your chores, you know, because obviously everybody's got to make the most productive use of their weekends. Game starts at 1 o'clock. You get a nice chance to watch a ball game, enjoy yourself, whether you watch it on the deck, you listen to it on the radio, you watch it on your iPad, you want to sit inside on a hot day and, and, and enjoy air conditioning if that's your thing. By 3.30, quarter to 4 max, you're done. You can go out, have a nice barbecue, enjoy your time with your family, maybe go out and enjoy the evening before you got to get ready for work the next day. I mean, Saturday, even better. Saturday, even better. I mean, if a game starts at 7, or if you want to move these up, I know some people are pining for 6.40 start times. You get done by quarter after 9, 9.30, you can still go out and enjoy your Saturday evening. You could have a late dinner or you know, watch a movie with your significant other. I mean, baseball has become, because how much of a slob the game is, it kind of hijacked, for lack of a better word, your, your evening. And that's not good for those who are hardcore fans, never mind those who are trying to get into the game. Now, small sample size here. Do I think every game is going to be two and a half hours? No. Do I think we're done with three-hour games? No. Remember... There'll be extra innings. There'll be games that'll just, there'll be pitching changes, bad play, long innings. I mean, a long inning, you could have, you could have any pitch clock in the world. You have bad pitchers that can't get people out. Those are going to be long innings. Those games are going to be longer. They're going to be over three hours. You have a game that's 15 to seven, just bad pitching on both sides. It's going to take over three hours, maybe four hours. Um, And I read, you know, it's funny. I see. And I'm not going to go name all of them, but Joel Sherman wrote a column basically saying, you know, first glimpse of MLB's new rules and baseball will never be the same. I just don't buy that. Like, I did not see anything over the last two days that made me think I was watching something so different than what I've enjoyed for, you know, I've been watching baseball since I was 10 years old. I'm 40. I've been watching baseball over 35, 36 years and I didn't think I saw it wasn't arena baseball. If anything, the stuff that they've done in the last couple of years with uh, the Ghost Runner, that's more arena baseball than anything. I mean, playing around with the baseballs like they did in 2019 where every fly ball looked like it was going out, that's changing the game more than anything that I saw this weekend. So count me as someone who said that, you know, I, I listened to Theo Epstein in the offseason who, who talked about the reason for these rules – was because they were trying to eliminate the things that fans didn't like. And I've always been one that has felt that baseball constantly tries to recruit those that will never be fans of the game. But I also started to think as I watched the product the last couple of days, and hopefully as we get into the regular season, I'll be able to do it. It's really got to assess it. That it's it's almost as much keeping you engaged in the game. You don't want to get to the point where the hardcore fan is watching highlights or just looking at their fantasy stats or looking at box scores or checking into a game in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, or you know only watching a third of the games. That's how a sport dies. And I'm not saying that that was happening on a widespread basis, but I'll tell you why. You know whether your team's in the race, out of the race. If you enjoy baseball, you dedicating two and a half hours. I mean, it's no different than dedicating yourself to an NBA game. And I'll tell you what, it's probably better than the NFL. I mean, look, the NFL starts at one o'clock. Uh, well, I guess they're done by four o'clock, but you know, it's, it, it aligns itself. It aligns itself with the other sports, and the other products. Look, I, I watched the Nick game on a DVR last night. 
because uh, I want her to watch the Mets. And most nights, you know, and I'm fast-forwarding through the commercials, but I'll get to the 2.30 mark, and the game's over. I mean, that's that's where you're at, and and that's a, a good product. Now, if, as far as the pitchers adapting and what the impact is on the hitters, too soon to tell. I know that there was, the, and you heard the clip, there was the, and I'll get to the one part where I don't want this to go. There was the clip about what happened in the Atlanta game with the strike three call uh, on, what was it, a 3-2 pitch that would have been a walk-off walk. And I saw no issues with pitchers coming. I mean, the only pitcher who came remotely close to a violation was Scherzer, and he was doing that on purpose. So he's doing it strategically. Now, there's that strategy, which is you're trying to ice, I'll call it ice the batter. And then there's what I don't want to see. And then this is where baseball has to be careful. If what happened in the Atlanta game, because now you've heard some uh, you know, writers speculate that you can use the deking of the catcher standing up to get a strike call. I don't want to get it to the point where part of the game now is deking a hitter into a phantom ball, uh, you know, phantom strike call by the catcher playing games. Like, you know, everybody's going to try to find that angle. To me, that is Bush League. That would be part of those unwritten rules of the game that if I were a professional player, I wouldn't want to participate in that. Get somebody out by getting them out, not by deking them by the catcher lingering around. And personally, if the catcher needs to be part of that equation with the pitcher and incorporate it into this whole thing, because nobody's quite sure how the umpire is viewing this, then yeah, you know, catcher needs to be ready, pitcher needs to be ready, hitter needs to be ready. It's not just hitter and pitcher, it's catcher too. So that, you know, if the catcher's standing up, that's as much as the pitcher not being ready by a certain time. That's my opinion. That's what it sounded like, and, and I saw the video, what looked like happened in the Atlanta spring training game. The other thing I saw Dusty Baker talk about, and this makes me laugh because it's just about creatures of habit and change. And I love Dusty, admire a ton of what he's done. You know, he used to be a critic of him. Not, not, not the case anymore. Not, not due to a lot of the work he's done over the last, uh, I would say, seven or eight years since his time in Washington. But if you can't, in 20, 15 to 20 seconds, get... Now, the pitch comm is different because that's technology that could get crossed up. If you can't figure out your signs and you can't figure out how to relay signs from the dugout in that time when you have NFL teams with a much more complicated signals screaming over a, a loud crowd that have to do it, all right, in 40 seconds, but still, they don't get the full 40 seconds all the time because they don't line up right away. Um, if you can't figure it out in that time... NBA teams calling plays in a 24-second shot clock. Uh, I'm sorry. There's something wrong. I mean, that to me, look, if you have to have a coach and a manager, uh, a bench coach and an assistant hitting coach and a manager flash signs out and you tell the the players, today it's not Buck that's the real sign, it's Chavez. Do whatever you got to do. But telling me that people are going to figure out your signs, look, the human brain can only work so fast. Yeah, there'll be people sitting there trying to figure out your signs, but just like they got to be ready, you got to be ready. And if you're ready and they're not ready, they're not going to be – I really believe this. The clock is going to come up on you pretty quick. You saw that watching the games. You're not going to have time to fool around and really think. It, it might actually help sign stealing. You're not going to have time to fool around and think about the signs or the banging of trash cans or whatever it is that happens here. It really, it really, it really won't. You also heard the the the, uh, the writers ask Pete Alonso in the clip coming in whether or not he, you know, how is he adapting and adjusting. 
And the booth was talking about Gary, Keith, and Ron, how Pete is a pretty cerebral player. He likes to take out, take deep breaths, really, you know, visualize. I could tell he does a lot of visualization just from watching him. I think it goes back to what I said for the last couple of years and, and really what happened to this team in 2021 with the overloaded data and information. The more that you think during the course of action, the worse I think it is. Now, I don't want to make it like, you know, John Starks. You know, John Starks used to be a player. You know, he was a guy that was more of an emotional, reactive player, right? So he played off his energy. And and, and maybe those other sports like basketball and hockey and, and, and the NFL, maybe that's, that's part of it. Baseball is more cerebral at times because of the nature of, you know, the chess match, let's say. But maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe it's too cerebral. And maybe this everybody has to go out there and use their muscle memory, their practice skills, um, their talent, uh, and see what, where it takes you. Maybe that's where the game went bad. You put the time and the effort and the practice in. You study the pitchers before the game. You do your batting practice. You do all the things you do throughout the offseason, spring training, and then whatever your routine to prep for each game is. And if you get to the seventh inning, and you still need to do more prep, then either you're not prepared or you're doing the old uh, paralysis through analysis or whatever you want to call it, uh, or, or you're, you're, you're yourself over-prepping in that case, and maybe you need to rethink it. If you're not doing enough prep, then I can see the argument where that time clock is a problem with you in the batter's box. But honestly, I don't think, at least from the Mets' perspective and the kind of guys they have on this team, that's an issue. Could that be an issue for somebody else? Eh, we'll see. It's possible. But the early talking Mets, Mike Silva uh, analysis on this whole thing, not a big deal. And positive. And positive. Now, is the whole throwing over thing going to annoy me in a big spot when the Mets are trying to win a game and Birdie's on first and Adovino's on the, the mound? Maybe that's a, a strategy thing where, you know, Buck is going to have to say against this team and against this part of the lineup with Adovino coming in, if somebody gets on base, he's the wrong guy to keep that runner pinned. That could be a strategy thing. Everybody's going to have to adapt here. It's not just in a vacuum. You have to start to look at matchups, and part of matchups might be who can hold the running game best if somebody gets on. Uh, even Buck had said, I think it was on the SNY pod with Joe DeMeo and Connor Rogers, he didn't think the bigger base was as big of a deal. Guys all of a sudden are not going to steal if they're not. Stealing is not just about speed. you got to know what you're doing. Now, can that help a Starling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, a birdie, you know, Guys with moderate speed that may never have thought about running. Will teams push the envelope if they see a catcher that's really struggling? Sure, it could happen. Um, but I still don't think – it's it's not like everybody's going to turn into the 80s Cardinals. And then the shift, I mean, guys, look, it's nice to see that there's some ground balls to right field that are base hits. It's almost like we haven't seen it in years. I told you it was about 2016, 2017 where these things kind of – you know, these shifts took off and took a wild uh, uh, approach. So – Will we see some goofy five-man infields or left fielders, and will they start messing around with the outfielders? Uh, you know, anything could happen, and if that's the residual effect of this, so be it. The first time someone hits it the other way and the ball dunks in for a hit, it'll be the end of it, and you won't ever see it again. So you can't legislate everything in this game. You can't. There's no way. The only thing that these rules and I'll wrap up with this before we take a break. The only thing about these rules that bothers me a little bit, and I'll get over this, because it really, when the Ghost Runner came into play, that pretty much changed the game, uh, where uh, American professional baseball 
Um, it used to be the National League was the only league without a DH. So I, I that maybe that baseball's always been different. But now with these rules and with the ghost runner, like the game played here versus the winter leagues and Japan and, and wherever, you know, WBC's playing on the different rules, which that's a whole other thing. Bad mistake because I think they – if I'm the Mets guys, I go there and I train myself to, pit, to, to play within those rules. I wouldn't get into bad habits. So uh, it, it, it baseball was always a sport, unlike the NBA, unlike the NFL, where there was the – you know, the Canadian football and XFL and arena football, where the rules were always the same no matter where you played, minor league, this league, whatever. And now it's not. But is that something that's going to ruin my life and ruin my love of the game? No, it's not. It's just it's one of those things that as as the world changes, you know, we have to accept people who are in their 40s in 1935 and saw baseball played a certain way would look at the game in 1980 and say, well, that's not the game I grew up watching. And the same 40-something-year-old who watched the game in the 80s who, now I'm that guy, you know, I'm a 40-something-year-old at this time, would, would feel like, hey, this is not the game that I grew up watching. So everybody has to, everybody's perspective is the same. It's just you think you're different because you're living in the moment. It's the same. Everybody, Everybody's going to feel the same. These are conversations that have been going on. Maybe they're more pronounced now because of the amount of social media that's out there and because so much change has come so quickly. But as the world changes, as athletes change, as sports must change, and baseball, the early returns, two days in, two days of spring training, two days of Grapefruit League, Cactus League games, and you had one silly incident, which I think is an anomaly in the Braves game. And I think if you get maybe more than one of these a game or one of these every few games, I think one a game is a lot. That'd be a lot. I think you're just going to train these guys to be on point, And it takes away a lot of the uh, chess match that I think may be overblown and maybe more of a security blanket. I mean, playing with your batting gloves, it does, it's, it's silly. It's, it's, it's just a nervous tick. And if that's what we're eliminating is the ticks, the nervous ticks, then I'm all for it. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Brett Beatty had a home run, looked good in his first spring training game. Everyone's going gaga. They're ready to throw Escobar off the island. I'll tell you why it would be very hard for Beatty to make the team. About that and more. I'll tell you that much right now. It's going to be really hard for Beatty to make the team. I'll talk about that and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease 
with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., it's a big offensive day for Beatty Harp. What does he have to do to force the Mets' hand and get a roster spot? He's going to have to keep hitting like this, uh, Chelsea, because, it, look, we know they don't necessarily want to bring him up right away to start the season. They're a little bit worried about his defense. Yeah. And, they, you know, they want to give Escobar a shot to see what he can do as a full-time third baseman again. But I think they're going to need this kid at some point. We know he can hit. He hit. I know he, his, his numbers weren't there when he came up last year, but you saw a lot of good at-bats against tough lefties. He can hit. He had a big jump in power last year in the minors. He learned, learned how to get the ball in the air more, as you just heard him say. I think he'll take that step at the big league level maybe this year at some point. I think he's going to be a big factor. Here. I'm not sure it's so much what he can do. I feel like it would be more of a situational thing going into the season. So if for any reason Escobar, say, wasn't healthy, or I'll even throw Canna in there because you're going to look at left field as yeah. well, that that would be a situation where I think you could find him on the opening day roster. But realistically, you do not want to stunt his growth when yeah. he is your number two prospect. And so unless he is going to get playing time every yeah. single day up with the Mets, I don't think he will be up with the Mets. I don't think you want him up with the Mets. You want him to get those reps in the minors. So I think it would be more of a situational need thing, not so much what Beatty can do to like force their hand, like you said. segment because I don't want to get into this, but I think right now, especially after Mauricio hits home run today, you see Alvarez goofing around with Narvaez in the dugout, and Vientos gets an RBI double, you see Ramirez running around the bases, showing off his speed. Everybody's going to get prospect fever with the Mets. You know why around the team? A lot of free agents, a lot of guys who are solidified, and anytime you have that kind of team, any prospect that comes up becomes exciting. I mean, I remember the 80s Mets when Keith Miller came up and had some speed. It was like, it was a jolt of energy. Greg Jeffries, uh, and even Chuck Carr at one point when he got called up. Like There was always that excitement because it's new. It's somebody new. Uh, regardless of the fact that, you know, you don't know if they're going to stick. Now, I'm not trying to compare Brett Beatty to Keith Miller or whatnot, but uh, you know, Greg Jeffries is an interesting uh, analogy. But without using history and invoking history here, here's my prediction. Now, yes, Pete Alonso came into camp in 2019, and not only did he, he win the job, he ripped it away from Dom Smith and never looked back. That was a completely different situation. Pete Alonso came in without a established veteran that was blocking him to win a job. If they had someone the equivalent of Eduardo Escobar at first base at that time, no matter how good Pete Spring was, I believe he would have started out at least for a month 
at AAA. Uh, was it Vegas at the time? Was it Syracuse? I can't remember. It was 2019. It's probably Syracuse by that time. He would have started out in Syracuse at that point. And he not made the club. And look, he would have actually delayed his free agency year, which makes everybody happy because they love, you know, those kind of things. Everybody loves the value equation. Um, here's the only way I could see Beatty making the club. That Escobar gets hurt or the team looks at his, and he's rounding into shape. That's all they're doing right now. The team looks at his performance in the WBC and sees something from his bat speed, his process, his body that indicates he is declining precipitously, and then you got to slide him to a bench spot. And quite honestly, that's a whole new situation because for them to really make that bench slot, they're going to probably have to drop someone because you got fam on the roster. Maybe Darren Ruff goes on the DL. I know he's got a wrist issue. You know, you're going to have to find out. You know, maybe Marte starts off in the DL if he's not quite right. There is no positional. Uh, you know, there's no positional room here. You know, there's not like you could just say you can't, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't send down, uh, you can't send down uh, Guillaume anymore. You can't do that. You know, I, I mean, I can look and see who has, um, who has some options on the offensive side, but they're not there. So you have to kind of hope that something comes up injury wise, which you never want to do. So unless he has this crazy spring, coupled with Escobar showing physical decline, never mind the numbers. The numbers in the Grapefruit League don't matter. Even the numbers in the WBC don't matter. Where a scout comes into the room and says, hey, Billy, hey, Buck, this guy's losing it. This guy cannot play every day. This guy's bat slow. He's on a Cano-level decline precipitously. And that could happen. Look, you go from September into the playoffs hitting – then all of a sudden, off-season, people age. And Escobar's in that mid-30s, you know, early 30s into the mid-30s, where things go pretty quickly. Then there's something different. Is there a possibility of a platoon where you know Escobar becomes the righty, Beatty becomes the lefty? Sure. I don't see that day one. And I just don't know how you're going to fit him into the roster. Again, I'm looking at the, our roster here. You've got your your nine, I'm putting Navarez, uh, uh, Narvaez, 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 Narvaez into the lineup as the catcher and Escobar third base, and Vogelback is the DH. Then you have your Nito, Ruff, Guillaume, Pham. That's 12. 1, 2, 3. Let's see, 1. That's no, that's 13. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I don't see it. I mean, it looks like Guillaume has one option left. So he can get sent down. Darren Ruff, nothing. I mean, there's nothing. You're not going to send, you can't send anybody else down. You're not going to send Alonzo McNeil down. Um, so there, you know, you... <laughs> You just you don't have any you don't have a spot for him. The spot is Escobar. The spot is releasing Escobar, trading Escobar, somebody getting hurt. Uh, probably Darren Ruff. Maybe he could start on the DL, uh, depending on how this wrist situation is. Uh, that's it. And unless they're going to take a l- one less pitcher, which I just can't see. So uh, this is a short segment. I will be looking to see how Beatty plays. I still think Beatty needs seasoning on defense. Despite the couple of hits in the home run yesterday, he made an error at third base. Uh, defense is important. It's really important. You can't be giving away outs, especially as you look at what we just talked about, bigger bases and potentially stolen bases and more offense without the shift. You don't want, you know, the things that have always been important in baseball that are always important if you listen to this show, which are strike one, 
not walking guys out of the bullpen, not giving extra outs. These are fundamentally simple things that you have to do to be a championship team, to be any kind of good team. And if Beatty's going to give away outs at third and he's, you know, he's not showing that he's matured enough on the defensive side, then, you know, honestly, uh, uh, I'm not interested in him playing every day unless that bat is over the world, over the moon good. And we'll see. N- not going to convince me playing in split squad games in the Grapefruit League. I'll tell you that. Now, goes down to AAA hits and, you know, continues to get good reviews from the scouts. You know, I, I liked the article a couple of weeks back about his work with Troy Tulowitzki. A lot of good signs. I heard a lot of good things about the kid. But I'm not ready to hand third base over to him. This is not like Pete Alonso where it was wide open. There was nobody else there. Uh, you know, Escobar, could he be Dom Smith? I, I just don't see that. I don't see that right now. So we'll see. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, is the wallet the Steve Cohen factor? We know it is, his wallet is. But is it something more? Listen to what Steve Cohen had to say when he came to camp the other day, and we'll talk about that right after this. Well, you know, listen, they're people, right? And and just like at point seventy-two, you know, I, I care about my people. And and you know, other people have said, eh, you shouldn't get that close to the players, and uh, you know, I would do it differently. And I don't agree with that. Um, I think there's, I think it's important to have a personal touch. Uh, I think that matters. It shows you care. And, you know, my wife feels the same way. And so it's just the way we are. And I'm going to do it my way. So uh, and it works for me. It's worked in the past, and I'm going to keep doing it. All right, we're back. And you just heard Steve Cohen. They're people. Think about that concept. Here's Steve Cohen saying they're people. And I was... It was interesting, you know. I, I saw that clip and I and I had saved it because I, it was something I wanted to bring up on the show. And then I read an article about Francisco Lindor, and Lindor had mentioned in the article about how when he was slumping in twenty twenty one, how Cohen called him and said, "Hey, I have bad days at the office too." And these are really simple things. And I talk all the time, you know. I, I go into my you know leadership lecture. I bring up guys like Phil Jackson, Coach John Wooden, Pat Riley, who's my guy. You know, you know the whole thing. You listen long enough. But ultimately, whether it's a coach, a Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, I mean, these are all great coaches. I mean, these are coaches that are like, these are guys that I, I'm attracted to in the sense of their style. You know, Buck. And no matter what the situation, the era, the characters you have in that clubhouse, Billy Martin going all the way back, what you're trying to do is whatever your style is, you're trying to form some kind of, of bond or covenant where eventually the players buy into the whole thing and they police their own rules. I mean, that's really what it is. You know, how can a guy like Bill Parcells or Pat Riley back in the day, I mean, they, you know, you have to do it a little bit differently today, beat the utter bejesus out of these players and get the most out of them because... It was a buy-in. Hey, you want to get here. You want to make this kind of money. You want to be in this pantheon. Here's how we're going to do it. Do you want it? Yeah, well, this is what it's going to take. So how do you how do you get to the point where literally they he, Riley used to condition his teams to death? Probably now he would be brought up on a military tribunal because there's load management in this, obviously, science now, too, that says, hey, maybe you need to – less is more. We could debate that on a different show on a different time. But – when you have a situation right now 
where you see the comments today by Tony Clark, head of the Players Association, we'll never have a salary cap. What did I tell you? Never going to happen. You will lose significant baseball if they try to put a salary cap on the owners. You will lose significant baseball. And don't don't be fooled. There are owners that don't care about this sport and would like to burn it to the ground because they didn't get it to burn to the ground in 94 and start over. They would love that. And then you have a Bob Nutting uh, who talks about uh, Brian Reynolds and wanting to re-sign Brian Reynolds. And he says all the right things, and I love Brian Reynolds. I want him to be part of this, and yada, yada, yada. But as a player where distrust of players and owners has been seeded in this game all the way back to, you know, the Comiskey days with the Black Black Sox scandal. I mean, it goes all the way back. Very few owners have connected with their players over the years in professional baseball. I mean, George Steinbrenner is probably one of the few. I mean, that's the one thing. He was nutty. Uh, he made things difficult. Maybe you could say the guys in the 80s didn't, uh, wouldn't agree. But you don't hear Don Mattingly today, even though things were wild and wacky and he was impulsive and his decisions led to the demise of the Yankees in the 80s. They still won more games in the 80s than anybody else. I mean, they didn't win it all, but they still were pretty entertaining up until about 1989. I mean, the Yankees really had a bad three or four-year stretch from 89 to 92. And it's sometimes they make it out to be like it was a decade. It wasn't. And maybe 87, 88, they, they floundered and they weren't as serious contenders as, as, as the records show. But I'll tell you what, the 87, 88 Yankees were in contention. I lived during that time and at times were in first place when the Mets weren't during those seasons. Look at the standings and look at the trajectory of the standings. So they weren't as bad as everybody thinks. But you think about owners and connecting with players – Name me other than George, an owner that really has. Go up and down. Even John Middleton in Philadelphia. So here's an owner with a lot of money who comes from the real world, who is still active in the real world. Uh, you know, Not that the other owners haven't, but I think he's more connected, it sounds like, with his company, which is a big company but still a family business. And in a family business, connection with employees is important. You could tell the wife is very big on that. She's involved in everything. Alex Cohen, Steve Cohen. And having that personal touch, being able to recruit Max Scherzer, who had no intention of signing with the Mets, uh, being able to you know, get a lot of these guys re-signed, and Justin Verlander taking the leap of faith before the Mets had made any moves to sign here, knowing more is to come. Yeah, you have to be a salesman. And in a lot of ways... The Wilpons were bad at that. That's why I thought Brody Van Wagenen was so important for the Wilpons and why he was the right move because I you needed somebody to be that salesperson or that touch. Unfortunately, there could be a line between sales and authentic sales and used car sales. Maybe Brody hovered on that. I think Steve Cohen's an authentic guy. I think he sits down with you and shoots you straight. And I think that's what these players want. And if you look at the difference between a Bob Nutting and, and saying things in the media and a Steve Cohen who goes out and will have dinner with these guys. And you heard what he said. A lot of people say, don't get too close to the players. And I understand some of that. There's a certain degree where that is important because then it clouds your ability to make hard decisions. But I think you can do that without compromising good business decisions. I think you can. You have to be careful. You certainly have to be careful, and you certainly should pick and choose, but they're human beings, these guys. They want to feel 
comfortable and liked in their work environment. They're not fantasy baseball names on a page. They're not stratomatic cards. We we tend to put them in a commoditized in a commoditized nature because they're these pegs on a board that we watch every day. They're almost not real to a lot of people because they're on TV. They become characters. They become actors. They're not. And I'll tell you, the early returns are, you know, yeah, money trumps everything, but guys like Scherzer, guys like Verlander, even an Edwin Diaz, a Brandon Nimmo, who was recorded heavily, they were going to get their money somewhere. David Robertson, you're going to tell me someone couldn't beat the Mets offer for David Robertson? I mean, even Jamison Tyone had even said that, you know, the he was close to sign with the Mets for, not because of Cohen, but, but there's a lot to be attracted here to. And I think Cohen has a lot to do with it. I think when you sit down, you hear him speak, you hear his vision, you hear how passionate he is, how real he is, how down to earth, how he's not looking to have this moat between the players. They're partners. That's been the thing that's been lacking in baseball for so long. The owners and players are partners. And if a partner tries to beat the other one's uh, head in, they're not partners then. You know what happens when that uh, – when, when, usually what happens when partners fight, businesses go out of business. You can't have a game without owners, and you can't have a game without players. Neither one could survive without the other. They may not like hearing that, but it's true. And if Steve Cohen is a pioneer in this, hey, more power to him. That's why the other owners don't like him, because they'd rather have a lord and surf relationship. They really will. They really will want to. And that's going to be a hard thing to break, because there's a lot of old-school owners in this sport that really look at it as lords and serfs. And I got to tell you, in today's day and age, with a more empowered player, now they're not necessarily empowered like the NBA, and that's getting crazy. I mean, that's taking the power and shoving it in their face. You know, they're partners. Both sides have to live with each other. And there's a vested interest for them both making money, not one beating the other. I'm sorry. And I think the players sometimes forget about it, more so in other sports. But I think part of that reaction is that the players are tired of being treated like serfs. They really are. And they're not. And a lot of, you know, they're, they're brands, these guys. You know, you're not going to recognize Bob Nutting of the Pirates, the owner who walks down the street. But you're probably going to recognize Brian Reynolds. You're probably going to recognize Francisco Lindor. So, anyway, that was just something I thought about. It was interesting to hear Cohen talk about it. And I think we need to just remember it's not just the money. The money is definitely there. But it's this personal touch. It's this removal of the moat between player and owner and, and front office that I think makes him so special. I mean, the guy works out a deal with Boris and Correa you know, while he's having cocktails in Hawaii. That doesn't happen if you're not a, 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 an all-star Hall of Fame negotiator, but also someone that could connect with people. It doesn't happen that way. So anyway, let's take a quick break. We're going to wrap up. When we come back, some final thoughts Why does Mets Fix think the Mets could be a team that ranges from the high 80s to 100-win team? I'll talk about that. I think they're worried, but I also think they're overrating some of the reasons why the Mets were successful last year. And also, Pete Alonso said a very interesting comment. I'll let you listen to that. And I'll tell you why I think that comment is important. And I'll tell you why the Mets might need to exercise that demon a little bit. So take a quick break. We'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. In one of the meetings, I, 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 told, I told some of the guys this, that I feel like even though like 
We played excellent ball all year long. We're Good. extremely consistent um, from day one to, to 162. Uh, we didn't obviously end up the way we wanted. Um, the whole goal is to get to the playoffs after 162 and then capitalize and then obviously compete and, and, and win the championship. So for us, I feel like going down that road, once we kind of got halfway through September, uh, I, as a team, I feel like we didn't have as much fun as we should have. Mm. Um, so granted that it's awesome to, to work hard and, and really like you work hard so so hard all year long and you, you finally are right there close to the finish line, I feel like we didn't as, enjoy it as much as we should have because baseball, you never know when uh, kind of like you can capture magic. And I feel like that we, we had it, but we didn't necessarily fully enjoy uh, the success that we had after a long year. Because uh, playing, playing the way we did is really hard. Do you need any more proof that the yoke exists? You hate it. I know that some of you hate it when I talk about this, this big yoke around the neck of this organization. The pressure. But if you, and, and you heard Eric Chavez a few weeks ago talk about the pressure... Uh, of just because they're now a team that has a lot of arrows pointed at them. I talked about the economic arrows because of Cohen. Between the legacy of failure, the specter of the Yankees, Cohen putting them into the deep end of the pool, Cohen being a transformative owner, uh, the pressure of just being a contender that exists for anybody. You just heard Pete Alonso tell you right then and there what happened last year. And I'll tell you what. This team, part of their pressure, part of the fact that they didn't have fun is that once Memorial Day hit and they had about a 10 or 11 game lead on the Braves, they knew they had to win that division. And if they didn't, they would be deemed a failure. And that's pretty much what happened. And look, you guys know, 10, 11 game lead on Memorial Day, it's almost like you don't want to get out to that kind of large lead because it, in some ways it, it's a cushion, but it takes puts a lot of pressure on you to finish the job. It's so much baseball left. I mean, we've seen guys make up sixty nine Mets made up about fourteen or thirteen games in August. It's it's not insurmountable, especially Memorial Day. Great cushion would sign up for it right now in twenty twenty three, but fortunately, I don't see it happening again at that point. But um, I think that it's a really interesting comment that Pete had that uh, he talks about them not having fun and that what they accomplished was really really hard, and that's a difficult thing to wrap your head around because part of you, well, having fun is winning and putting the work in and, and winning is hard and baseball is hard. So, you know, how can you have fun when, you, when you're struggling down the stretch? But uh, this team right now, and I don't know how Buck's going to do it, and I don't know how Pete's going to do it with his leadership and his energy. They have more pressure on them now than they did last year, than they did the year before. So if Eric Chavez talked about coming into 2022 with pressure, and then now in 2023, with all that you heard about the Cohen tax and people being pissed off about the Correa signing and Cohen being this, like, the anti-Christ you know Christ when it comes to the owners, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think the Braves love you? You think the Phillies love you? Of course not. The Yankees don't even love you. You're going to go town to town, the team with this big payroll, this crazy spending, and you're going to be expected to win, and they're going to beat you. Every team's going to want to beat you. Do you think the Pirates, when you go into Pittsburgh and they're in front of 12,000 fans, aren't going to get amped up to play you? You're going to see teams that are in the doldrums going into Cincinnati, D.C., whatever. And they're going to be dead as a doornail the previous series playing, oh, I don't know, the uh, 
the Cardinals and get smacked around. And then the minute the Mets come to town, the light switch goes on. You're going to see it. And they're going to have a ton of fun, the fans, you know, shouting it down, you know, maybe throwing some fake dollar, $100 bills at you, whatever it may be. So if you felt pressure last year and you weren't having fun, you ain't seen nothing yet, Pete. It is a definite a challenge. This team, the legacy of failure, the, the missteps, the almost wins, the, near, the nearness to glory that they've had, and the Charlie Brown with Lucy and the football situations, uh, all that builds up. And, you know, everybody, I've been talking about it for years. And, you know, people got to the point where they're tired of hearing it or they tell me it doesn't exist. Well, Pete Alonso just told you it exists. He just told you. You heard it from his mouth. So I thought that'd be an interesting way to wrap up the show with that comment. Another quick thing. So interesting comment made by the guys over at Mets Fix. I'm a subscriber. And if you're not, again, no vested interest. I think it's a good little resource to get you through the season, you know, kind of day in and day out. I'm not so sure in the off season if it's as necessary because the hot stove is kind of easier to wrangle. But when in, in season, there's so many articles, so many things, so much stuff going on that really makes a, a, a good product. And again, I have no commission on this. So I'm not a commission salesperson for the Mets Fix guys. But he talked about how in the back half of the rotation, you had Taiwan Walker and you had Carlos Carrasco. And this year you have Jose Quintana and Carlos Carrasco. So Carrasco's a guy that you know many have projected to drop off, and he did drop off late in the year, and he didn't even make a start in the postseason. Uh, and uh, Quintana is a guy that's replacing someone in uh, Taiwan Walker that had a pretty good year. He had an ERA plus of one eleven. Uh, you know, went twelve and five. You know, Walker was really good in the first half. Arguably, could have made the All Star team. Made the All Star team the year before before he had kind of his swoon in the second half. Uh, you know, Walker was kind of a guy that uh, numbers evened out. They seemed to be really, really good, and then you'd have periods of being really, really bad. But the one thing that uh, he brought up was how if the Mets don't get similar type of production from their back end of the rotation, and let's look at it this way, taking out Peterson and McGill and what they did uh, to really bridge the gap when Scherzer and DeGrom weren't in the rotation, Tywin Walker was 12-5, and Carlos Krasko was 15-7. and they were 27 and 12, 27 and 12 from their number four and five starters. If you want to, what was written up in spring training. That's serious. Here's the thing here's the rub on that 27 and 12. They did it against sub 500 teams. Go to baseball reference, go to their splits. I've talked about this before. Maybe you missed it in the offseason. But uh, when you start to go to the splits of 2022, I'll bring Walker up first. You have to bear with me while I scroll through a bunch of things. So uh, Taiwan Walker, and I hope I could find this here because it's it's important for me to, to do this. Um, hmm. Let me see where I could get this. Uh, okay. Teams below 500, 10-1, and 2.35. Teams uh, teams above uh, below 500. Teams above 500, 2-4, and 4, 5 10. And he made Betty much made 15 starts against sub 500 teams, 14 starts against over 500 teams, two and four, 5.10. There you go. There's one. Um, and then you go back to Carrasco, who's now back. And look, when you're a fifth starter like Carrasco that can give you innings and you don't really worry too much about his arm because you're not nursing a young pitcher. Not to say that he's you know his career is not worth worth 
taken seriously, you're going to take more liberties with his arm, you know, as he gets into the his late 30s than you would with a with a prospect. Let's let's just be honest here. Let's not mince words. But uh, here is a guy that against bad teams, 10 and 3, 2.54 against teams that are above 500, 5 and 4, 6.15. You know, there you go. So uh, honestly, uh, not you know, you got to beat the bad teams. So if Carrasco, and and now that you're not playing Washington and Miami, and there's a little bit there's a balanced schedule, you might have less of that. So it's a fair point. I think the point though is not that Quintana and Carrasco will be worse than Walker and Carrasco. That the balanced schedule might play into that. That's why I think the Mets are more of a 95, 93, 94, 95 win team. You know, there's a little bit of age on the roster. There's the balanced schedule. They got to play the Braves and the Phillies. They got to play the Yankees. I mean, I know that other teams do too. Um, you know, you hope that with some of the depth, you know, with Buto and Peterson and McGill and maybe somebody else emerges, they can, you know, bridge the gap on, you know, injuries or if they need, look, if Carrasco doesn't hit the, the, the doesn't meet the snuff, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they could go and, and maybe Peterson takes that. I think, you know, you got Lucchese. I think it's important for Lucchese, McGill, Peterson, and Buto to start the season in the rotation at Syracuse and and build up their their stamina. I know that some people are excited about the thought of Lucchese out of the bullpen, and that is intriguing. The bullpen is the one positional battle that we truly have this spring. And as we see more of these guys that are, are, are out there, we could talk more about it. Uh, and I understand, you know, in 2021, you know, in L.A., the Angels, uh, Quintana and ERA, almost seven. But he didn't pitch that much, you know, and I know he's had some injuries. And he had some time in Chicago with the Cubs where he didn't look great all the time. But he's a guy that, for a contending team, Chicago, you know, they gave a big prospects to get him in 2017. He pitched fairly well. Is he the guy in St. Louis that pitched elite, top of the rotation elite, and, and threw goose eggs against the Phillies in the playoffs? I don't know about that. Uh, if he, but is he a guy that I think could give you six innings, three runs out of the back half of the rotation? You know, maybe seven innings, three runs. Yeah, I think he can. I think he can. So I'm more worried about Kodai Senga, and I'm very much looking forward to his first start. I am going to make sure I record that if it's during the day when I'm not around. Um, I'm less concerned about Quintana and Carrasco because I think they're going to perform just like T- Walker and Carrasco. I think we overrate those two because they just happen to have an evenly distributed amount of games versus bad and good teams, and they cleaned up against the bad teams, which is how you win 101 games. You just beat the bejesus out of bad teams. Now, the Mets' margin of error against those teams was a little bit thinner because the offense had the brownouts, so you know maybe they don't need quite as good of a performance at the back half of the rotation if their offense performs better with the Vogel back, you know, rough with a bounce back, and you know we'll see what happens with third base and whatnot, but... So uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, where the back half of the rotation is where the Mets fix guys were looking for the, the swing in the Mets performance, but I don't see it that way. Uh, I still see it as the keys that I talked about going into spring. The Kodai Senga, uh, you know, I think is a huge, huge, huge key here for this team uh, because I think he'll, he could swing the rotation. I think we're going to really, um, I think we're really going to miss, I think we're really going to miss, um, uh, Chris Bassett, you know, even though some question the pitch clock, we're really going to miss uh, miss that. So we'll see. Still going to be looking at the kids and the depth in spring training. And, uh, you know, obviously the bullpen positional battle will be very interesting. Uh, but mainly, mainly Kodai Senga. I'm really curious to see how that pans out. So 
We'll talk about him more. I'm sure that as he makes his first spring start, we'll have a lot to talk about. Maybe you have an emergency pod. Who knows? Uh, so stay tuned for that. So want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, like I said, I didn't get many mailbags this week. Send me a mailbag, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No, G, love to incorporate you into the show, give you props, uh, but hopefully you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. You had a lot to talk about, mainly in the introduction to the new rules, which turned out to be much to do about nothing so far, you know? So, and I'm really, I go back, I'm really glad that I waited because I think this, I knew it wouldn't do me justice to talk about something in theory because I'm so so hard for me to want to mess with a game that I grew up watching you know, for so long, and I don't like messing with something that I believe is good. Um, but so far, you know, Theo Epstein's right. I think that they've added some elements to the pace of game that will make it certainly more enjoyable for those already who watch it. There's no reason why it wouldn't be, but could attract a newer audience. We'll see. So, all right, want to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet. At Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, talkamentspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, talkamentspodcast.com. Check me out on Instagram, talkamentsnog. And of course, I want to thank the good folks from the fan sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com for their unwavering support. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with the Talkaments podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Meet the Mets, 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 head for the park and greet the Mets, hot dogs, green grass, all out of shape, guaranteed to have a heck of a day, because the Mets are really rocking that ball, hitting those home runs over the wall, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 